Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and as always, we'll start off the podcast by going over the Bundesliga results. So on Friday night, we've seen Borussia Mönchengladbach 1, Freiburg 1. Then into Saturday, we had Augsburg 3, Hanover 1, Stuttgart 1, Hoffenheim 1. It was all level at halftime between Wolfsburg and Dusseldorf. That one ended up 5-2. Yes, 5-2. Then RB Leipzig won away from home against Schalke. The late kickoff game on Saturday was Hertha Berlin 2, Borussia Dortmund 3, keeping pressure on the top. Into Sunday, we've seen the early kickoff Bayer Leverkusen 1, Werder Bremen 3, Eintracht Frankfurt 1 1-0 against Nuremberg. And the final game of the weekend, seeing Bayern stay top on goal difference. 6-0 against Mainz. Yes, quite a few goals from Bayern this month. But um, joining me, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, how are you? Bryce, very well, thank you. I'm back from Munich, obviously, this week, where I had um, personally had a very good week. Um, not a particularly good week for the German sides in Europe, and, and we'll get on to that. But, yeah, an all right match day, Bryce, but it's left me in a foul mood. Dear, well, I'm sure we'll get to that. All in good time, Chris. We've got plenty to discuss today, and, and not just domestically, but uh, joining Chris and I, as always, is Manu Vett. Manu, how are you? Yeah, I, I think I know what Chris is talking about, because it feels it feels like the enthusiasm is a bit gone at the moment after those international results, or most of the international results. Don't want to forget the high-flying Eagles, um, the one positive story that's really very much coming out of German football at the moment. Feels a bit downtrodden at the moment, doesn't it? Um, this match day didn't really help much. And then the midweek performance, while it was great for Liverpool, what a fantastic performance by them. It, it kind of sh- shows some of the ailments that are plag- plaguing German football at the moment. And um, I think given that this is an international match match break, um, it's kind of it's going to be an interesting one to discuss this week um, on what's actually ailing German football rather than, you know, recounting for the X amount of time the exciting title race. Well, that's exactly it. And that's what I feel we will be discussing, um, well, quite intensely um, at the start of the uh, podcast uh, before we do move on to any of the uh, domestic um, topics. But um, joining Manu, uh, Chris and I, uh, is somebody that we were all saying we're a little bit surprised he hasn't been on here before and it's taken us this long uh, to get him on here is Andy Wales. Andy, thank you very much for po- coming on the podcast and for anyone out there that doesn't know who you are, um, shame on them, but um, fill us in a little bit on, on what you do and um, what exactly your interest in football is. Hi Bryce, yeah, thanks for having us on. Um, yeah, 120 episodes before you get to me, yeah? someone like that. Um, I, 
I'm uh, I'm a lover of football, a Liverpool fan involved with Anfield Index, have been for a few years. Um, so I'm writing, podcasting, and I've got a long-term interest in Bundesliga football. Um, a lot of my childhood years were spent in Germany, uh, growing up with the British military. So um, as a football fan, you, you become more and more interested and uh, aware of what's around you. And I went to school in Dortmund, so uh, obviously there was a certain big team nearby been to their stadium um in fact had my sport my school sports day at rota Erda stadium so uh well aware of uh, Borussia Dortmund had an affinity with them used to watch um the sports show on a Saturday tea time that was part of my regular viewing I think Manu would be aware of that one uh, it was it was ARD or ZDF it was um my part of my weekly diet of football Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the Sportschau. um it still is a very much a big part of of German football culture isn't it yeah, and so it's yeah my my love for my love for football and that that love that all time love for German football dating back to um, you know late eighties early nineties um, just kind of got rekindled in this whole uh, new world of being able to watch football anytime from anywhere and yeah it, it's just a passion that's grown over the last sort of um, I don't know sort of six seven eight years to to the point where I just uh, just have to uh, have to be in on it every weekend and and just love love writing about it yeah as do we all and you're absolutely right Andy we are very lucky these days to be able to watch football from all around the world no matter where you are but um as Manu kind of touched on Chris a little bit um we're gonna talk um about the state of uh, the Bundesliga side uh, in Europe it was a rather bad week for the three sides um Schalke, Dortmund and Bayern but let, let's start off uh, we'll, we'll take it a little bit uh, case by case um, it, it was three Premier League sides that did knock the three uh, German sides out um, we'll start off with Schalke Man City because I feel that this is possibly the the least um, surprising of the knockouts um, 10-2 on aggregate against uh, Manchester City I mean Chris if if, if we went into this thinking there was going to be anything but a heavy and emphatic win by Man City, I think people would have been very surprised and maybe we would have been, well, we would have been classed as rather naive. This one, um, Schalke have been bad this season. Man City have been very good. No surprise there, really. No, there was no surprise, but Schalke were still in the last 16 of the Champions League and they were beaten 10-2 on aggregate, which is a bit of a humiliating result. Now, you can you can throw all the accusations you want at Manchester City that they've um, bypassed FIFA fair play regulations, that you know they, they get their players' towels in the dressing room sponsored for 500 million a season by Etihad or, or you know the sort of thing that they do. But they are a very good side. Are they 10 goals to 2 better than Schalke? I would probably argue not. Not on the level of players that they've got. It was just a showing. And, I mean, it ultimately cost Domenico Tedesco his job, didn't it? He, he, he could never survive that. And especially the humiliation in Manchester. For me, it's more the way that they were beaten. It's more the way that they were taken apart. Even after going ahead um, and making Manchester City look a little rattled at times, they still caved in and even though there was one goal in it before it went to the Etihad, I think everybody knew that Schalke would get a hiding, but I I didn't really expect the type of hiding that they got. And 
is it's embarrassing and most of all it's embarrassing for Schalke who do have a rich European pedigree and a rich European history you're looking at a side that have beaten Real Madrid you're looking at a side that has won the UEFA Cup and you're looking at a side that until a few seasons ago was a a side that was there or thereabouts in the latter stages of either the Champions League or the Europa League so this is a a really underwhelming performance by Schalke and a bit of an embarrassment for them and and I think it's an embarrassment that reflects on the league and uh, they're not the only ones um, because both Dortmund and, and Bayern I feel didn't show themselves particularly well but, but Schalke especially and yeah you are right Manchester City I think we're always going to beat them but I think 10-2 is poor um, when you're Schalke and when you're in the last 16 of the Champions League. I think getting beat 10-2 on aggregate is is absolutely horrendous. Andy, if we go to you, I mean, do you agree with Chris that, yes, there's obviously a lot of money invested into Manchester City, lesser so Schalke, but it, it never should have been this much of a deficit. It's difficult, yeah. I, I think without doubt there's a golfing class between the two teams but 10-2 is just a bit too far, certainly at this stage uh, of the competition. And, you know, you, you watched that first leg and you felt at least there was a bit of sprightliness about Schalke. At least they put up a bit of a fight. They made a game of it. Um, but the second leg, it was just... It, it was it was like watching Bayern versus Mainz or almost. And I know you'll get to this one later on, but it, it really was... Um, it. it what would you say? It was a team almost lacking in fight. They'd, they'd pretty much given up, and you just felt a degree of sympathy that for the fans that travelled all that way, watching the team just throwing the towel. And yeah, I, I know there was a lot of talk, wasn't there, of that Tedesco had had the, the vote of confidence and that uh, they would stick with him for a bit longer and see how things pan out. But um, I think what Chris said it was right. You know that that was just too much. That one result was just too much, and it, and it was obviously clear that, that uh, something really needed to change. Manu, if, if we just finish off the topic, um, you know, off Schalke against uh, City, and before we move over to the other games, which uh, I'm sure we'll talk about more in depth, uh, do you feel that this was the result that you know Tedesco deservingly got fired from? I mean. 7-0 is going to be a hard one for, for Schalke to, to get out of their minds, even if it was playing you know, one of the competition's favourites. I, I think this is an embarrassing result. End of story. Look, you got the vote of the confidence. And I I actually think that Jochen Schneider's vote of confidence for Dominique Tedesco was 100% genuine. It wasn't one of those... We're going to. We're not going to fire the head coach. The head coach is going to stay, and then two days later, he's gone. Right? It was. I think they genuinely hoped that they could turn this around with Domenico Tedesco, who, who Jochen Schneider sees the, this new sporting director, the guy who's not even officially taken over yet from Christian Heidel. Right? Um, a man who's very much responsible for this mess as well. Um, we'll get to that in a second. And he tells him, tells the world that he's going to stick it. Stick with with Domenico Tedesco. Give him another chance. This young, talented coach, a coach that has shown in the past that he can guide a team to the very top of the Bundesliga. And then you get a result like this. And it's it's okay to lose against City. I mean, I looked at the results that City had this season. and they, I mean, they have embarrassed a few teams um, at the Hattie Heart in particular. And some very good teams as well. So this is not not something uncommon. But look... 
the seven nil. I did the match report for this game for Fußballstadt.com, and it could have been it could have been ten, eleven, twelve, zero. If they had if they had really tried and played their best the entire game, City would have absolutely dismantled the side, and then we would talk about result that's even more embarrassing than the result already is. And I think it's it's sort of the fact that the the team just caved in. You had a goalkeeper in Thermann who had a fantastic year last year, who's been more or less dismantled two or two, three times already this season. He's put back in goal. He makes three mistakes on the three of the goals. That's because of Dominico, uh, Dominico Tedesco's policy, right? There, there's a close-up of um, Tedesco. I think it was after the third goal. He, he just looked haggard and his face was completely white. It's, uh, he, he looked like a ghost of his former self, but it's because he did not manage to keep this team going after he got that huge vote of confidence. And... I mean, you just need to look at where they are in the league. Result-wise, um, I think this is the biggest drop. And I, I think I tweeted this a couple of weeks ago. This is the biggest drop since uh, Nuremberg in 1969 when they when they won the, the championship the year before and then got relegated the next year. I mean, Schalke looking at a similar scenario right now. I mean, it, it's feasible to say they could get relegated at the end of the season. And to manage that as a team that's representing the Bundesliga in the Champions League, making very good money... I mean, we often say, like, look, this is a money issue. The Bundesliga is a money issue. Schalke are one of the 10 richest teams by revenue in the world. So this is not a money issue. This is just bad management issue. This is throwing money out of the window issue. Because you should be able to be competitive. There is nothing wrong with going out against City. But to do a 10-2 in aggregate, when the aggregate should have been much higher, actually, is, is very embarrassing. And I think that is something that you as a club and maybe many clubs in the Bundesliga. I mean, we look at Schalke weren't able to retain Leon Goretzka. They weren't able to retain Max Meyer. Those are key players that are missing now, right? They haven't even been able to buy a key striker. Where, what happened to the 50 million euros they got for, for Leroy Sané? What happened to that money? I mean, I see a bunch of average players that they signed that haven't done anything. You know, um, what happened to all that money? Where is it? It. I just don't see the money reflecting the scores on the pitch right now. And I think that is really the big debate with Schalke and to some extent maybe the debate that reflects for the rest of the Bundesliga as well. Yeah, once once we've uh, covered each of the three matches, I think we'll get on to the Bundesliga as a whole, uh, Manu. Uh, that 7-0 uh, defeat was the biggest uh, loss for a German side in Champions League history, unfortunately, for Schalke. But Andy, uh, let, let's talk about one of the other games. Uh, Dortmund obviously took on... Tottenham Hotspur and they would have expected probably a closer encounter than a 4-0 aggregate loss um, they were much improved in the second leg uh, they had 10 shots to 1 in, in the first half but then uh, Harry Kane got hold of the ball and put it oh, you put the tie to bed really with that away goal um, what exactly happened Dortmund in here it, you know, it, is, the, is there a gulf in class between Tottenham Hotspur and Borussia Dortmund. I mean, on paper, I would have said that it, it, it would have been fairly close. Yeah, I wouldn't say that there was a golfing class between them at all. I, I think there's very little between them. Um, I, I would actually say that had this been the, the Borussia Dortmund of, of 2018, the first half of the season, then they probably would have just got past uh, Spurs here because Tottenham have not been in the best of form this calendar year, they've been a bit hit and miss, and they, you know, they played okay up until half time in, in the first leg. Obviously, the tie was effectively over by the end of that uh, first leg in Wembley, but.
but they started the game positively. And I don't think this was the second leg was anything to do with the golfing class or tactics or anything. There was an, it was more on individuals. Dortmund created chances, um, and it took you know an excellent block from Vertong, and it took a superb save from uh, Hugo Lloris to to deny. Dortmund being a couple of goals up and who knows at that stage if Dortmund had got one got two who knows quite what would have happened because uh, the Westfalen was it, it was rocking it was what the fans had called for the atmosphere that feeling the fight from the uh, from the team it, it was there they, they looked like they were getting back onto something but but I think also there was kind of indicative of that that confidence that's kind of slipped and that belief that's not quite there this calendar year as compared to before the winter break. So, yeah, and, and the difference being Spurs had a chance and Harry Kane put it away and and on the night, Borussia Dortmund had chances, but they just couldn't put it away. And and this, you know, at this level, that it, that can be the difference between them. And uh, and like I said, I, I don't think there was an, there's an awful lot of difference between the two sides certainly on paper, but yeah, it's, it's at the moment Spurs just been in that, in that run of, in that run of form, Spurs are that little bit more clinical in them key moments and Dortmund, as we've seen, you know, week on week in the Bundesliga, they're, they're a little bit hit and hit and miss. Uh, some weeks they look like they're back on it. Another week they're giving away two, three goals in, in 10, 15 minutes. So it's, um, it's, it's a difficult one with Dortmund because they're such a young team there is still that level of inconsistency about them. So there's there's a lot of growth yet to come. But um, I'd certainly not like the Schalke where you wonder what they're going to have to do and they're going to have to start again. With this Dortmund team, you kind of feel that this is this is more the beginning of something. Uh, don't know how far it's going to go, but this is more the beginning of a process rather than it needs to uh, be all ripped apart and started again. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, Andy. I think much more promising their squad and their their development uh, this season compared to uh, Schalke's all right. But um, Chris, um, to talk about uh, this tie again, I mean, you know, as Andy said, you know, it, maybe the Dortmund of a few months ago, it, it would have been a completely different proposition. In, in saying that... Uh, if you look at maybe budgets, you maybe look at form as well. That the teams weren't that different, um, especially going into the uh, the second leg. Um, do you think that this is just that Dortmund ha- happened to have that young side and just run out of a bit of steam at the wrong time? I think Dortmund, and Andy's quite right. Dortmund set their um, set their problems going at Wembley when they lost three 0 and, and the chance to get a foothold back in that tie would have had to them be winning 3-0 at home, which Tottenham never really looked like they were going to leak that many goals. Although Dortmund did have a go, and Andy's quite right, they had a real good go, and it was a brilliant block and a couple of fantastic saves that kept them out. But it was the 10 minutes towards the end of the match in Wembley that sort of destroyed um, Dortmund's chances. If you take the individual games themselves, take out that 10 minutes, um, and it was a close tie, and it should have been a lot closer than it was. But once again, it's a 4 0. Dortmund didn't even register one goal, which I think is very disappointing because the team themselves, you know, we've eulogized over the last how many months about how Dortmund are so good going forward. Tottenham, very 
cleverly identified that Jaden Sancho was a problem and, and sort of marked him out of the game at times. And and then they'd done the homework with the rest because it, it came down to it. Tottenham had one, pretty much one chance and, and Harry Kane put it away while Dortmund had, had wasted chances before that. And, and that's been a bit of a, a problem that Dortmund have had of late is scoring goals. But over the two you know, of the two games over 180 minutes of football, um, the gap between these two sides isn't 4-0, and that's what makes it more disappointing. I'm not saying Tottenham didn't deserve to win, because they certainly did over the two games. They played a lot better, and you can say that in the West Fallon Stadion, that all Tottenham did was absorb the pressure, wait for that one opportune moment, and they were very clinical, and that's an exceptional away performance in the Champions League, and you can only you know commend Tottenham Hotspur for that, because they did play a very good game. But from a Dortmund side, not even getting one goal is poor. And maybe it was a heart back to some of the performances last year as results stand, not on the way they were played because of very two different styles of management, two very different attitudes. And Dortmund have improved massively in, in all competitions than when they were under um, Bosch and Stoger. So I don't think we can say it's a similar performance, but taking it results results-based on their own, I haven't seen an improvement when it comes to the the final stages of this competition. Now, we can't forget that they absolutely battered Atletico Madrid um, in uh, in Signal Duna Park. And, and then, you know, they only lost to them slightly away from home. It's just maybe Dortmund did run out of steam a bit, but it's the same for Tottenham. They're playing more games. Don't forget Tottenham playing a league with more teams. They're playing more games. They've got more competitions to play. It's an extra domestic cup competition. So Tottenham have had it hard themselves this season. They were in a title fight at one point, saying that Bruce Dortmund are in now. I just feel that 4-0 is another disappointing performance um, from a German side in the Champions League. Yeah, absolutely. A bit of a shame, really, especially when we know how well they can play. Um, Manu, Andy made a good point, and then Chris kind of backed it up, that Dortmund are in a good position right now. I mean, we'll talk a little bit about the league and and Bayern uh, rather shortly, but um, things are looking bright for Dortmund at least in the future. Whether they go on to win the title or not this season, it, it, it's a vast improvement on recent times. Yeah, it is, and you have to remember the Champions League is about such fine margins, isn't it? And I think, for me personally, watching those two games and watching those two games very closely. We have to remember who the soccer do had a had a huge chance just before half time in the first leg in a, in, a, in a game where Dortmund was really struggling with injuries. You know they were missing four or five key players, and I'm saying Tottenham did too. But I'm getting to that in a second. I, I want to explain that. And if they soccer do scores that goal, then even if they lose three one, right, it, it's a completely different scenario. And um, I did the match report for Fußballstadt on the second leg and. It was ten to one chances, and we're talking real chances for Dortmund in that first half. You know, I mean, Andy is quite right. They should have scored two, maybe all three. And we've seen teams like Tottenham massively deflate when they come under pressure. Um, English teams, in particular, seem to do this when they come under pressure on the road um, in last few years. So we've seen it before, and I think it it would have happened. It's just that Dortmund couldn't score, and that's been a it's been a problem for them. But I think it's been a problem for them because we have to remember where Dortmund are in their development as a club. They started the season at zero. I went to a couple of the Champions League games and spoke to Fabre and asked him actually in a press conference. And 
this was when they were flying high. This was when they were destroying Monaco. This was when they were destroying Atletico Madrid. And he said, look, we are our project. Please give us time. Be patient. There will be times when we will have bad results. We just all forgot that because they were seven points ahead in the league and they did so well in the Champions League, in the Champions League group with uh, Monaco and Atletico Madrid and a very good Bruges side and finishing first in that group, right? That we almost forgot that they're actually a project. And when you look at Tottenham, that project, they, they had a very similar start to that very same project, a project that feels very much the same. But that started with Pochettino back in 2014. And so you can, you can see, you almost saw them at the, they had two different levels of development. This Tottenham side has been playing together for longer. There's better chemistry. They can better react to adversity, which they did. They were more clinical. They were more efficient. And when you have two teams that, and I think that top Dortmund are actually probably in the long run, the more talented of those two sides because Tottenham are not going to get much better than what they are right now. And Dortmund, the sky seems to be the limit, right? So I think if you play the same game two years from now, I think Dortmund will win it. But in that, in those particular two legs, you have to really take Dortmund out as a single case and say, look, massive improvement in the league, big improvement in the Champions League group stage, just went out against a team that is way more experienced than they are. And I think that was really the decisive factor on this one. And 4-0 looks really bad. But when you take the two matches and you really look at them closely, um, it could have also gone the other way. So, yeah, for me, Dortmund is a bit of a special case in that regard. And I think Dortmund should actually look at Tottenham. Because remember, two years ago, when Dortmund were playing really well under Tuchel, Dortmund absolutely destroyed this Tottenham side, a Tottenham side that were pretty much at the stage that Dortmund is right now. And I think that is sometimes you have to take individual results. When you take the overall league results um, in the Champions League, you have to look almost individually at the different results and see, okay, where are these different teams? Where are they in their progression? What are they doing? And maybe take it with a bit of a grain of salt as well. Well, that's it. It's about... Two sides that met in the Champions League, isn't it, between Dortmund and Spurs, um, that are in different levels of progression at the moment. Um, but things aren't looking too bad for Dortmund. Um, let's talk about the final clash, and that was Bayern Munich taking on uh, Liverpool. Um, they got an away uh, draw, a nil-nil, uh, at Anfield, um, a rather credible result. Um, some people were arguing whether the fact they didn't get an away goal was going to be an issue, or whether just getting that that victory, in a sense, with the draw was going to be enough to see them through. Um, of Ford's say on the night, it wasn't. It ended up 3-1 to Liverpool. And uh, let's go to Chris. Uh, just because you were there, Chris, I'm going to start with you and just say, I mean, was this a bit unexpected? Uh, were Bayern that bad? Or were Liverpool just that good? And do you think there's a golfing class between these two sides then? Some good questions there, Bryce. Let's take it back to the first leg where I think Bayern were phenomenal um, in their defensive approach. Um, and I think Niko Kovac really played a, a very good European away game. Um, stopped Liverpool from scoring. I think I mentioned it at the time a couple of weeks ago. Liverpool should have probably scored two. Sadio Mane had an excellent chance as did uh, Mohamed Salah on the back post. But they weren't taken. And for the rest of the fixture... Um, Bayern were were in control and they were quite comfortable. But fast forward to um, last Wednesday night in the in the Allianz, or the Wednesday that's just gone, um, and it was a shock. Now, obviously, from a personal stance, I'm a Liverpool fan and I was exceptionally happy. And, and when Van Dijk 
headed in that second. I was I was on my feet in a press box, and normally I don't do that, but I didn't care because Liverpool were winning away in the Champions League. So sometimes I just throw that to the wind. Uh, but as a Bundesliga journalist, it was sad to see because I think everybody had expected um, Bayern to attack Liverpool. And okay, they got a goal back um, through Joel Matip, but Robert Lewandowski was um, was poised to tap it in anyway. Um, and and when that goal was pulled back, the, there was a change in the atmosphere in the stadium. And and I did actually think, uh oh, as a Liverpool fan. This isn't this isn't particularly good now. Bayern are going to go on and get a foothold, but they failed to do that. And and Klopp um, was just patient, and Liverpool were very patient. And then they just picked Bayern off um, at the most opportune moments. Um, it was quite funny because Manuel Neuer was asked on the Tuesday when I was there in a the press conference, um, "Is it um, something that Bayern have noticed that?" You know, Salah's failed to score in his last eight games. And Manuel Neuer said, no, Liverpool can score from anywhere, especially set pieces. They can score through Van Dijk and Matip. Um, now, I thought maybe he's a bit kind to Matip and he was thinking of his old Schalke friend. But um, Van Dijk, most definitely. Um, and, and then he popped up and out-jumped everybody and nodded in that goal. And then um, Liverpool were quite in control from then on. And, and obviously, Salah picked out Mane, who headed in, got behind Hummels. I felt Neuer was in the wrong position. It was just a... Um, I tried to avoid swearing on, on the show, but it was a shit show by Bayern in the end. I thought they were terrible for a home team in the Champions League, a team that's got through to the um, semi-final for the last couple of seasons, a team that won it not that long ago, five seasons ago. Um, I thought it was really poor. And, and was there a golfing class? I think there was in the end. I think maybe Liverpool's run to the final last season gave them a lot more experience as, as a club away from home. Um, and as a club that have been tested, and, and that's something I'm going to get onto later. I think that Bayern are the architects of their own downfall at times, especially in in the league and and what they've done to the league at times, and the way that the league looks at them is that they just couldn't they just couldn't match a Liverpool side on the night that was indefinitely better than at times. And I think it could have been more had Liverpool really pressed, but three one is is all that Liverpool needed at the end. And I spoke with Klopp at the end, and he he was very very happy. Um, as, as you would be if you were Jurgen Klopp and you just won three one in the Allianz. But Nico Kovac came in, took four questions, and left. And you know he looked pretty pale, not as pale as Tedesco, but he looked pretty pale and he looked pretty unhappy. And you could see why. And um, even when I left the stadium two hours after, there were still fans milling back, and, and the Bayern fans weren't happy at the way they played, and they weren't happy at some of the things that Robert Lewandowski had said about the coach because. You know, he was complaining that Bayern were too defensive, but he didn't even manage a shot on target for Bayern in 180 minutes of play, and he spent most of the night on the floor complaining. And you know, I had to crawl out of both Van Dijk and Matip's pocket at the end, so it was very poor showing by him. And then for him to criticise a coach at the end, I thought was bang out of order. And um, I was thinking maybe it would affect Bayern. Obviously, it didn't because they went on and, and battered Mainz um, today as we record this. Um, but Champions League-wise, I thought it was it was a poor performance um, at home in the Allianz, where I think Bayern should have been favourites because it was nil-nil and they had the crowd and they had everybody on their side. So it was a very poor performance for me by Bayern. Yeah, definitely set alarm bells ringing uh, for Bayern. Um, maybe not as much as uh, Dortmund, but um, certainly, or maybe not as much as, sorry, Schalke with that uh, defeat. But um, yeah, the... the, the there's definitely concerns there, and that is for the first time 
in 13 years that no German side has reached the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Uh, Andy, let's go to you. Let, let's have more a discussion rather than the particular games. Let's talk about the Bundesliga in Europe. Um, what exactly is going on? I mean, things are not looking positive apart from Eintracht Frankfurt, obviously, but we're going to leave them out of the equation just uh, at the moment. What is it the Bundesliga needs to do to maybe develop? I mean, we're seeing lots of English sides go through. Uh, we're, we're seeing, you know, the Spanish sides are you know, fairly consistent in being there, and Juventus always. Um, what is it Bundesliga need to do to catch up with, well, the Premier League in, on this instance anyway? That's the, um, and maybe not so much the million dollar question as the, uh, what would be something like the two billion dollar question. It's I know uh, I know Nico Kovac talked about money and and Liverpool spend compared to Bayern and things like that, which I think for many people will probably be a bit of a, a tough one to take, and uh, a slightly bizarre one as, as as the amount of dominance that Bayern have had and and their financial muscle compared to anybody else in the Bundesliga and the fact that they've made, you know they they've took advantage of a lot of very smart uh, free transfers over the over the past few years. But I, I think, you know, if you're looking at the moment in terms of the difference between the Bundesliga and the Premier League, is the obvious one is money. And you, you see the amounts of money that the uh, the Premier League teams spend a transfer on, on transfer fees, on wages. And it, it's, it's a tough one. It's a conundrum because if you, you want to be financially healthy, then you, you don't necessarily spend that kind of money. But if you want to be competitive, then you've got to spend it. And it's, it is a difficult one. It really, really is. Um, and, and I think if the Bundesliga suddenly throws away what it's about to, uh, to go chasing the, the, uh, the Premier League in terms of spending money, you know, fritting it away, who knows where that could end? I mean, it's not that long ago that Borussia Dortmund were on, were on the verge of folding. You know, that they were spending money they didn't have they were making some very poor financial decisions uh, and it took buying, helping them out financially. It took uh, Signal Iduna to, you know, putting money in as well for them to rebuild the club and they've become financially very stable and the model that they're on, they're unlikely to be winning the, the, uh, the Champions League. The, the, let's not, you know, let's not be clear about it, that they're unlikely to be winning the Champions League in the next 10 years unless we have one of them kind of freak seasons where all the big all the big powerhouses maybe go out early or play each other and get out of the way and, and we end up with a, with, a, with, a, with a shock, a surprise winner. It's, it's a very, very difficult one. There's no magic answer. I mean, you look at it as well, that the amount of money that the Premier League have spent over the past 10, 20 years... And it's La Liga who have been dominating the Champions League over the, la the past decade. And, and it's predominantly through Real Madrid and Barcelona, who again spend copious amounts of money. So, the, the, you know, the obvious one would be you've got to spend lots of money. And, and in terms of the Bundesliga, Bayern are really the only ones who are capable of, of matching uh, the Premier League teams and the the giants of La Liga in terms of uh, that kind of revenue. So it's, it, it is a difficult one. And it's as much as I want to see the Bundesliga teams do well in the Champions League, I also don't want to see them thrown away this, the model that they've got 
to start chasing and and start you know racking up the debts that Premier League to, uh, Premier League clubs have got in in chasing that kind of a, a method. I, um, it, it's it is a it is a bit of a conundrum. Yes, it is. Um, Manu, I, I feel we need to go to you for your opinion on this as well. I mean, is it simply that the Bundesliga needs to find more money? And and if, if it does, then how exactly do they go about that? Do, do they get rid of 50 plus one or is it more to it than just no, that? No, don't get rid of 50 plus one. I think that would just destroy the, the league. Um, I think it would open the door to investors that have not the interest of football at their heart. And we have too many examples of that in German football already where it just simply didn't work out. So I think that is not the solution. I think a couple of things that Andy already addressed. And while he was talking, I actually pulled up the financial numbers of the Bundesliga. And the the revenue this year was 4.42 billion um, euros. That's 5 billion US dollars. That makes them the second um, largest soccer league in the world in terms of revenue and the third largest league in the world in terms of revenue Altogether in sports, um, they are behind the EPL and the NHL. Um, keep in mind, the NHL has a lot of teams, so that's why the revenue there is very high. Today's sponsor is brought to you by Nature Made, the number one pharmacist-recommended vitamin and supplement brand. Nourished by Nature Made is a personalized vitamin regimen that removes the guesswork of selecting supplements that are specific to you. Backed by 45 years of science, delivered right to your doorstep, and costing on average less than $2 a day. Nourish is your one-stop shop for customizable supplements. Visit Nourish.com to get started today. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. I don't think money is the issue, to be honest. I think um, there's a couple things that are going on here that we have to kind of keep in mind. Um, Andy addressed some of them already. It's the fact that teams in the Bundesliga want to run not just a positive revenue. They, they don't want to just increase the revenue, but they're also, because of the system that they operate in, are more or less forced into running a profit as well. Right, because they're self self sustainable entities. Now, of course, fifty plus one, you could argue, could fix that, but I don't think the investment climate in Germany would actually allow it to fix it. Because, like, what are the investors that would come in? Wouldn't they just milk the revenue out of those clubs? The the profits out of those clubs would they actually reinvest it? So that's that's something I don't think is going to be the solution. Um, I think, I think, the Bundesliga, in some ways, and this will sound odd is the downfall of the Bundesliga over the last few years is is due to its success. The fact that um, the league is so closely matched to the um, Premier League. I, I saw there was a very interesting interview of Ian Rush and Kicker um, before the Bayern-Liverpool game. And he said the reason why Bundesliga players do so well in England is because the leagues are very similar in terms of playing style, in terms of the the physicality of the game, the terms of the quickness of the game and their stats that back all of this up. So, of course, EPL teams, 
they will go to a place like Mainz and buy the best players from there, right? They don't do that with Villarreal or Sevilla or with some of the lower teams in Italy because the golf in those leagues is much bigger even than it is in the Bundesliga. The Bundesliga, like the Premier League, is probably the only big league in Europe where the first, okay, today was a bad example because Bayern smashed Mainz 6-0, but where the first can be defeated by the last team in the league. You don't have that in any of the other leagues. So because the Bundesliga has this model where they have to make money, they're almost a victim of their own success because they can't compete with the Premier League, yet that's the only competitor for them, right? Because other than the English Premier League, the competitors are Juventus Turin and the two Spanish clubs. The rest of the teams are not really competitors for, for, for Bundesliga teams either. So that means that you have a team like Schalke. They make it to the Champions League and all the best players go somewhere else, right? And you don't necessarily have that with Sevilla. They are much more able to retain some of their best players. So they can win the Europa League three years in a row because they can build something. And I think that is something that has to be kept in mind. It's almost like the leagues are too close. And how will the Bundesliga shut this off? That's a very good question. Maybe an environment needs to be made um, outside of Bayern München. You know, they can't be the only club that will retain their best players. I think Dortmund are going to try to do this. But their current path towards making this happen is buying young players and selling them for profit. You know, that's like Dutch times X, you know, the Bundesliga is the Eredivisie. Is that really what we want? I don't think so. And I think that is something that other clubs, you know, Bayern gets blamed for a lot of the ills of the Bundesliga. And I think, Chris, you will touch on this and you're probably right. But I think other clubs are also just as responsible for it. Yeah, and with that, I think we need to go to Chris. Uh, now, Chris, do you agree with the with the fellas as to what needs to be done with the Bundesliga? And is it an issue further down the line than just the likes of you know, the the Champions League sides that we've mentioned in Schalke, Bayern, and Dortmund? I think I was quite refreshed this season because um, teams like Dusseldorf and teams like Mainz um, had maybe shown a little bit more. Of a steely-eyed approach when they were playing against Bayern, um, but over the last few weeks, I feel that, or since the start start of the year, I feel that that's regressed, and it fills me with with sadness. Um, not because you know Bayern are, are top of the league, I don't care about that. I, I, I care about a close title race and a close title fight, and I care about the top of the league being as good as the bottom of the league, like Manu said, and. I just feel that with the way that Bayern have, have done things over the past few years, and they're not the only ones. And if you do look at who's poached the most sides for the most players from other Bundesliga sides, I think Dortmund are top. But if we just go back ten years, Bayern have taken the best players for either free or for very little, and that only weakens the league as a whole. They could yet do it again with Timo Werner. And the attitude is, run the contracts down and we'll take you for free or we'll take you for a very, very small amount of money. And that hampers the league. And that's not me speaking. That's a guy from Mainz um, who I was speaking to on Twitter earlier. That was his response for that. Um, I put something up and he came back and he said that Bayern's approach is that you either run your contract down and join us for free or you run it down as low as possible so the club has to sell last minute and, and they have to make, you know, a little money. Now, Bayern have played a lot of money in the past. They paid um, £27 million for Manuel Neuer, which back in 2011, 2012 
was a lot of money. But then they took Pizarro for free um, from um, Werder Bremen. They took Stark. Okay, he's not the best in the world, but they still took him for free from Hoffenheim. Um, they took Mario Götze for a lot of money, um, but then pinched Robert Lewandowski the last of the season after, along with Sebastian Roder. Um, and then it's, it's it's filled it's filled a similar void. Look at Joshua Kimmich; he went for seven point six five million pounds, which you know he's an exceptional right back and central midfielder. Um, now I know Stuttgart had something to do with that because they bought and sold him straight away. So you can see there's other clubs not helping themselves. Um, Sebastian Rudy and Sandro Wagner and Nicolas Sula arrived at the end of um, last season, until uh, the season before, sorry. Um, and uh, yeah, last season for for a combined amount, which wasn't that much money. Nicolas Sula is an exceptional player. Um, and we're talking about a climate where players are going for a lot of money. He went for eighteen million pounds, what's just shy of twenty million euros, which is nothing. Um, not just for his age, but for his ability um and his and his decision making and for how long he is gonna be at Bayern and the fact that he's gonna be a German national side player. I think that doesn't help the league at all. And I think it weakens them. And I think it weakens Bayern because we get instances like we've had not just this weekend but the last couple of weekends, you're looking at a team who put five past um, Gladbach, six past Wolfsburg, and then six past Mainz with one goal in return. That is not a competitive league at all. You are looking at a French model for that, where teams go, actually, PSG are going to win no matter what, um, two times a year, so we'll forget about that. And what I don't want to do is get to a point where we were pretty much last season and, and the season before that, and a season before that, and, and a few back from that, which is Bayern are expected to win the league. So it's all about who finishes you know, second to 18th. And I don't want to get back from that. And I thought we'd moved away from that this season. Um, but unfortunately, the last few months from January onwards have made me think that um, teams are quite happy to roll over with Bayern now. And that ha- that hampers Bayern because they get used to teetering past these teams at a counter, which... You know, they did to Gladbach, who was supposed to be you know, a third-place team fighting for a title, and they were dismantled. They took apart Wolfsburg, who had been phenomenal under Labadia, um, and then they were embarrassed by Liverpool in the Champions League, and it's straight back to domestic duties, and they whipped Mainz 6-0. So there's a disconnect there, because the league isn't strong enough to help them outside in Europe. Um, and I do feel that if they were at a stronger challenge, they would be a little better um, now, I know they've been in the, the, the last four for the last couple of seasons, but they haven't been able to take that jump to the final and, and maybe to win it, which is, I think, where Bayern should be. So I don't know if the DFL needs to get involved to, to sort out this imbalance because Bayern have all the money and they have, they have all the muscle and all the clout to just take players when they want. And they don't do it as much as other players, but when they do it, it's for exceptional players like Leon Goretzka, who went for free. Um, who is a brilliant player, and he's just going to make Bayern even bigger and even better. Um, and I know they're in a transitional period, and they will go through a transition, and this summer's key for them. And Bryce, I spoke to you off this pod, and I said this summer's key for Bayern. Now, either Bayern become challengers or they become Arsenal. And by I mean when they become Arsenal, they get they get linked with million, multi-million pound players, and they just go and sign some kids. January... They were linked with Lucas Hernandez and Callum Hudson-Odoi um, for a lot of money. 70 million here, 40 million there. They backed out of it. That shows to me that Bayern do not like spending money. 
and they're quite happy to just pinch the best players for the least amount of money from the league. Um, and I think that devalues the league and I think it devalues Bayern. So I think Bayern need to get their hands in their pockets and make some purchases this season to really take them forward in the Champions League. And I think if they don't, if they go back to this model that they know where they'll just pinch Timo Werner for really cheap from Leipzig because he's running his contract down, I think that's a poor show for Bayern and they get everything they deserve in a Champions League, not just for next season, but for the next few seasons. Strong words from Chris Williams there, but um, fairly fairly just, I think. But um, let's talk about something a little bit more positive for the Bundesliga in Europe, and that's Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, Andy, we've seen them do exceptionally well, great performances in Europe this year. I I think many people surprised. I mean, they're the first team in a long time, it seems, to take the uh, Europa League so seriously from Germany. a 1-0 victory over Inter Milan, away from home, uh, with Jovic scoring early doors, um, was exactly what they needed. And then they were able to see the game out, and they'll face Benfica next. Um, they've been something rather special, a bit of a revelation in the Europa League this year, haven't they? Do, do you feel that they can go all the way? Absolutely. They've been a breath of fresh air, not not just for for what they're doing on the pitch and you know the the, the manner in which they're doing it the the, the fans as well I, I think that's something it, I I spoke to uh, Felix Tanzot a couple of weeks ago and compared it to to uh, FC Köln when when they went to London you know they they took all the fans with them and they were going to enjoy it that's what they they were doing they were going to go and they were going to enjoy themselves Whatever happened, they were going to have fun. They were going to enjoy their experience because it, it, they hadn't been in Europe for over 20 years. Frankfurt, their fans come in, they're going to enjoy it. They're going to go out there. They're going to have a lot of fun. And to go with it, they've been performing on the pitch. And it, it really has been a breath of fresh air. And, you know, it was it was while the, the Bundesliga still had teams left in the Champions League that... that Frankfurt were being touted as as the Bundesliga's best hope for a European trophy this season because you you've got to say you watch the way that they play and there there won't be any teams in that draw regardless of, of who you can pick out there will be nobody in that draw they'll be wanting to to uh, to face Eintracht Frankfurt the the way that they play they've got some exciting young players and I don't want to bring this down now but uh, you know the point that that Manu made about you know teams coming in and picking off players and and I think this could this itself could be something you know you talked about Dortmund re- looking to retain players I think this summer really could be a test of the ambition of Eintracht Frankfurt you know do they really want to push on from this because uh, Kovac had gone and you know the, there was the whole Super Cup thing at the start of the season and people worried about uh, does that mean Frankfurt that you know that little spike of success is over and they're on the way back down but no, they've they've really stroke, uh, pressed forward. They've been impressive, played some really good football. They're an exciting team to watch. They're, they've got their sense of excitement just surrounding them. And and the likes of Jovic and Hala and Rebic, it's, I, I do wonder whether this, this summer could be a question of their ambition. Do they want to press on from this and, and keep pressing? Because they could easily end up in the Champions League next season because they're, they're not far away and they're a team in form, and you certainly wouldn't back against them doing it. So, and and 
for me, that, that this is going to be the key thing this summer. Can, can they retain them players? Can they build upon this squad? Can they push forward? Or will this just be a flash in the pan? And next season, we, you know, we worry about what's going to happen them because they've allowed clubs to come in and, and handpick their best players and, and take them away, like like Manu has said, with, with other clubs. So they, they are a breath of fresh air. They have been exciting, but um, I do have that slight bit of concern for, for what happens to them because of their success. Almost like, like Manu mentioned, the, the Bundesliga becoming a victim of its own success. I do worry that Frankfurt become a victim of their own success. Absolutely. It, it it may be interesting to see in the summer just whether those players stay or go. And that is whether it's them that decide to stay or go or whether it's the club. But Manu, Frankfurt have done very well, yes, in Europe. But things are looking very good for them domestically as well as they push um, very close to, to Borussia Mönchengladbach for that Champions League spot. I'd be surprised if they don't get that Champions League spot now. You know, the... I, I, I did the MASH report on the game in uh, Milan and I watched the game today against Nuremberg and they only won that game 1-0 and I say only um, against Milan because they could have they could have destroyed that team 5-6 now. I mean, they had so many one-on-one, uh, two-on-one situations where they just, you know, it seemed to pick off Inter at will. Um, this is a very, very good team and... I know Chris has sort of had his doubts about his, the growth of this team, whether Champions League football comes too soon. But I'm at the stage now where I say, to, in order for Frankfurt to keep this team together, their only hope is the Champions League. Because if they make the Champions League, be it by winning the Europa League or finishing fourth, which I think is very likely at the moment because Gladbach's form, I mean, they're their balloon that's popped uh, in this league. Um, they, they're going only downwards, and Frankfurt are, are only one point behind them. I'd be surprised if they wouldn't overtake them even maybe next match day. Champions League football means they can retain Jovic for another season. They have Rebic tied up for a long-term contract without an exit clause. Halla, you could retain him. Why would you go to Dortmund or Bayern if you can play Champions League with Frankfurt? Right? It would allow them to find to actually add to the squad for the first time in a long time. They could make massive investments in this team. I think this is Frankfurt for me. They are where Dortmund were. You know, when Dortmund won those back-to-back titles and became a big club once again, Frankfurt are at the cusp of that. They are just about there. And in, for, in order for them to step over that line and become a club that could challenge Bayern and Dortmund, maybe even for the Bundesliga title, they need to be in the Champions League next year because that's where the money is at. That's where you make the big bucks and that's the money that they need to keep the side together. It needs to happen now and it is of utmost importance because this, because this is a club that will get the stadium renovated for the European Championships. They're talking up to 70,000 people on capacity. They are so close to making this happen in one of the biggest financial centers of Europe. It has to happen now. I think this is a once-in-a-lifetime chance for this club. And it, they just need to do it. They just need to force out of find a way into the Champions League. And I think the Europa League performances will be the foundations for that. Yeah, I think you could be right, Manu. But uh, Chris, uh, before we talk about the international break coming up, because um, uh, we certainly have to touch on the uh, German national side, um, just very quickly, we'll talk about the title race. I know that we do every week, but it, it's still... Very tight, same points for Dortmund and Bayern Munich. 
see Bayern Munich won six nil the weekend. Uh, can Dortmund keep up with them? Um, I mean, it's just it's insane the amount of goals that are being scored. I mean, seventeen goals and uh, without reply in their last three games. Uh, Bayern, can Dortmund possibly see this one out? Well, they keep going, don't they? I didn't think they were going to do it on the weekend against Hertha Berlin, but they found a way. Very, very late goal. Um, Tremendous by Sancho and by Royce. Uh, They've just got to keep going. I I said it, it was either last week or the week before. All they've got to do, now they've slipped off the top to Bayern, is just keep with them and it will be a one-off final in the Allianz in a couple of weeks. Winner takes all, I think. Whoever gets that match... Um, whoever gets three points from that will be will be odds on to win the title. Um, if it's a draw, I think that would benefit Dortmund. But Dortmund just keep need to doing what they're doing. Bayern are back, and they're they're back in a big way in the league. You know they're firing goals past teams like there's no tomorrow, like you've said. But Dortmund are there on sixty points. Bayern are there on sixty points. It's um it's one to look at now, and it, it's just going to be the next couple of weeks. We wait and see. But Manu's already mentioned it. There's quite a lot of bit of, of, of interest behind and maybe now um, Frankfurt won't need to win the um, Europa League to make the Champions League because um, Gladbach look like they've um, Gladbach look like they're done um, I think now and I can only see them going further down whereas Frankfurt they're on the on the opposite side and they're coming up so I can quite easily see Frankfurt getting fourth soon. Um, but they need to keep all those players. But as for the title race, Bryce, it's it's still wide open between the two of them, and we'll see which benefits, uh, which side benefits from the international break the most when we come back on the uh, on the next match day. Because you know there's just no let up for for any side now as we go into the final stages. Absolutely, and as we keep saying that the tie between the two sides uh, could be the decider. But uh, let's see how that goes. Um, I also said that we're going to uh, speak a little bit about the German national team. So, yeah, we're going into an international break. Um, Most of the time we're kind of uh, not too excited about that whole scenario. But uh, a lot's gone on with the German side in in recent times. And they'll be facing Serbia and then Netherlands as well. So, um, Manu, uh, what can we expect um, from the national side and Joe Schumlo uh, within these two games? The unexpected. Um, <laughs> it's, it's we can't expect anything. No, it's it's. Uh, I think I think uh, good old Yogi is is completely left the room. We got the new Joachim Löw, uh, Mister Beinhardt, as you would say in German. You know, he's made all those cuts. He's nominated a fresh, fresh-looking side. Um, no more Hummels. No more Boateng. Yeah, and no more Thomas Müller. Um, I think we've discussed, discussed last week the controversy behind that. I, I think he now needs to deliver. And I, I look at the side and I see, I, I see a lot of quality in this team still. Um, I think it's just a matter for him to find the, the right mixture. I, I like the fact that he's called up Maximilian Egestein. Niklas Stark, he was tremendous against Borussia Dortmund. I think he justified his calling up um, very much. Lukas Klostermann for... Leipzig is a player I like a lot. Same with Halstenberg. The one player I'm missing, uh, there was two players actually I was missing. Um, one of them I now know is Mario Götze. He's of course he's broken a rib, so he wouldn't have made the trip anyways. But uh, Dani da Costa from Eintracht Frankfurt, I think with his speed and versatility, he's a player that this German national team can very much need, and very especially in that 
the new setup that I'm expecting. I'm expecting them going as three four one two um, away from the old four two three one formation. So you need players that can play out right and left. And Dani da Costa plays that system all the time at Eintracht Frankfurt and is one of the few German national team players, uh, with the exception, of course, of Leroy Sané and Ilka Gundogan, that have also impressed playing on the big European stages for Eintracht Frankfurt. So I'm, I'm a bit baffled. Um, by the fact that he wasn't called up for this one. But other than that, I mean, I'm really interested to see what's that that first game against Serbia, Bryce, is going to set the tone in many ways because we now have every position is now open for challenge, including the goalkeeping position. And judging by that, I think Marc-Andre Terstegen, he might be getting the game against Serbia um, sort of to show what he can do. Um, given the way he's been playing by Barcelona, I think he has a legitimate shout at saying, I should be the number one. And I think it will be interesting to see how he, Löw, is going to handle that situation in particular. But yeah, I'm expecting a 3-4-2-1 formation with two forwards up front uh, and a false nine kind of position behind that. And it's going to be very interesting to see because this team is in a complete rebuild. Um, and it can afford being in a rebuild because it's in a relatively easy qualification group um, other than the Netherlands. And remember, the first two spots will get you to the Euros. Um, Belarus, Estonia, and, and no offense, Bryce, Northern Ireland shouldn't shouldn't be too much of um obstacle for this team on the way to the Euro 2020. Well, I, I was going to be neutral here and go to uh, Andy and just say, you know, is there any way past Northern Ireland for Germany? Do you really want me to answer that? <laughs> well, I don't know why everyone's laughing. <laughs> um, I, I, hey, you never know. Northern Ireland are capable of um, of upsetting the apple cart and really getting it together and obviously having that team spirit about them. Who knows quite what, what they can pull off because who knows what state Germany are going to be in because... You know, the the World Cup was an absolute disaster. It needed change. It didn't really come. It's now starting to come. It's um I'm not sure about quite the way that it's been managed. Um the likes of certainly with Thomas Muller, you would expect maybe to say, look, um he's not getting called up at the moment, but we'll see for the future, you know, never say never kind of thing, rather than put yourself in the definitive situation. But what I'm really looking forward to uh, with this with this German national team is to see uh, hopefully get to see uh, Kai Havertz and Julian Brandt get an opportunity to play together because I've just really, really enjoyed watching those two in tandem for Bayer Leverkusen in the second half of the season in this, this, you know, this new uh, setup that they've got at Leverkusen under Bosch. Um, It just seems to be really bringing the best out in Brandt and him and Havertz taking turns to, to, uh, to get in there. And and they're just between them. There's just so many goals, whether it's scoring them or making them. So they're an absolute joy to watch. And and I'm hoping to get to see those two feature. And and echo as well what Manu said. It's really good to see uh, to see Max Eggerstein get uh, get an opportunity because I think he's really impressed me this season. Uh, I think he's 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 a really talented player. And and boy does he work. He really really works his socks off. Because so um. I think he could. He's one of them players that could be the could become an, an unsung hero over the over the next the next few years for the national team. So um, it's uh, it's like Manu said, you know, it's um, it, it's uh, it's a kind of um, 
unexpected. You know, expect the unexpected. Who knows quite what's going to happen and whether or not this um, this belated revolution under Yogi Love is uh, is actually going to be successful. Yeah, I, I think. Uh... Well done, Andy, as well, for mentioning the players that you have with Eggerstein and the, the Leverkusen boys. I think you know it, it's going to be an exciting time to see them in that national side. And even if Manu didn't particularly like your, your answer and says you're not allowed back on the podcast, I'll do my best to get you back on because that was more positive than I expected for Northern Ireland. But um, guys, that more or less does it uh, for this week. We, we've talked rather in-depthly about the Champions League and what the Bundesliga needs to do, but I, I felt that we needed to touch on that. Uh, everyone's a little bit down after it. But Andy, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Um, if anyone wants to hear any of your stuff or read anything by you, I mean, where should they go? Where, where can they find you? Maybe on Twitter or where else? Uh, yeah, if you if you're interested in in anything by me on Twitter at Andy Armchair is where you'll find me there, and I I do uh, write a, a regular Bundesliga column for uh, WFI called the the uh, the Bundesliga Zeitung. So. Um, yeah, if you're interested in my musings upon the, the weekly happenings of Bundesliga football, uh, that's where you'll find me. Very good. And yeah, we'll, we'll make sure to to get you back on uh, rather soon. Um, thank you very much for coming on, Andy. Um, Chris, um, an international break, does that mean that you get a bit of a break? Yeah, it does. Um, I'm going to enjoy it. Bryce, I don't really know what I'm going to do. Um, well, I do. I've got lots of stuff I can be getting on in the house. But I'm just going to enjoy this one because... I have complained about them in the past, Bryce, but it's been it's been a very busy few months, so I'm going to enjoy the two weeks, um, just disconnect from football. Obviously, I've got Bundesliga right in. I've got Liverpool on the potential cusp of winning the Premier League for the first time since I was 11. So it'll be just nice to take myself away from football for a couple of weeks. Yes, indeed. Well deserved, I think. And Manu, will that be the same for you, or is there no rest for the wicked? Uh no, I'm actually going skiing for for a couple of days in the Rocky Mountains. Um, so that's going to be me um, de-stressing a little bit. But at the same time, we're going to have the previews for the the two German national team games um, on Fußballstadt.com, and we're going to have the previews for Russia and Ukraine, of course, on Footballrad.com. But yeah, same with Chris. I think um, at this stage of the season, this is this is our last break, and then it's going to be Champions League, Bundesliga international games um a lot of stuff going on until the end of may and uh, i think we all we all kind of need a little bit of a just a little bit of a de-stressor so uh, skiing for two days in the rockies i think will be absolutely perfect yeah it sounds delightful and uh, as i said to chris much deserved um yeah when we return when the football grad network picks up uh, once again it's going to be the run-in isn't it to the end of the uh, season um and also the the Champions League, the Europa League, and all of the above. So very exciting. But thank you very much for tuning in today. As always, I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at BryceDunn11. And until then, I'll be there soon. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt, als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? 
celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.